I, so, I oh, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, no. Uh-oh. How you like them? The lady with the paper hat asked me as she poured a little more coffee into my cup. As that you say, I said, as a sad smile spread across her face, and I looked up. She said, I'd take you to be a soft-boiled man, and I don't understand, I reluctantly confessed. Listen, son, she said, I don't mean to upset you, but you've got to know I'm going to have to break a couple of things to make your breakfast. Just glad to see a blue morning and the yellow egg at the break of rain. Welcome to How Do You Like Your Eggs, the show for people who love to eat by people who live to cook. Except today, it's just me, Asher Griffith, End Times Interim Producer here at Cicada Radio. No Jake, no Anna, just me, and the all-saturating miasma of my profound ineptitude. And our guest, Bethany Mangigian, Director of Wellness with the Broadmoor Improvement Association. I have recorded this introduction in post to spare you, dear listener, the clumsy hemming and hawing that excruciatingly preceded the question, what is the Broadmoor Improvement Association? Okay, we're recording. Okay, great. So, um... Yeah, absolutely. So, the Broadmoor Improvement Association is one of the oldest neighborhood associations across New Orleans, and it's always had this legacy and history of supporting its neighbors and in a way that's really focused on equity. Uh, so originally in the 1960s, uh, the BIA was involved in, uh, you know, calling out racist uh, real estate practices and was part of leading uh, an organizing effort to keep the neighborhood diverse and to keep the neighborhood equitable. So that's some of the historic legacy. But People really know the name Broadmoor because of the response that happened after Hurricane Katrina when the whole Broadmoor neighborhood, because of where it's physically situated at the bottom of the bowl in New Orleans, was going to be rezoned as a water retention park and people were not going to be able to come back to their homes. And the neighborhood said, absolutely not, and figured out how to organize itself actually with the leadership of now Mayor LaToya Cantrell, who, you know, brought the neighborhood together and organized to bring back all of these different community anchors, like the library and a wellness center and a health clinic and the neighborhood school. And that all of that uh, really just created a sense of, of collective will um, that made it possible for the Broadmoor neighborhood to come back really strong and also uh, to refocus its efforts as a neighborhood association uh, to be focused on wellness so that when we think about what is the role of a neighborhood association, it's not just, well, does this street light 
you know, work? Uh, are the catch basins cleared? Uh, you know, do we have fewer potholes in the street, but rather, uh, what do we do to address the holistic well-being of the neighborhood, both from a, uh, you know, community economic development perspective, uh, from a physical well-being and from a mental health, uh, and, and just essential services perspective. So coming out of Katrina, we created a food pantry that we still operate to this day that has actually doubled in size because of the COVID-19 response. Um, but we also offer quality of life reporting, case management services, and we're one of the few places in the city that does affordable counseling services on a sliding scale so that people can access counseling even if they're not insured or they're underinsured. And in this moment, we've actually shifted to donation-based entirely. Sure. So that's just a few of the things that we do. We we honestly, because of the, the virus, we haven't been able to be in our physical arts and wellness center where we offer like 25 plus different types of programs that support well-being from hula hooping, Zumba, yoga, meditation, AA groups, you name it. All of that happens in our space. Right now, unfortunately, that can't be happening. So we're focused on the essential services that keep the neighborhood whole. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. And it's good to know that neighborhood associations can be involved in that sort of thing. That's the sort of thing that you'd want to think, I guess, that a neighborhood association would be involved in. As far as I know, like, for example, the Neighborhood Association of Bayou St. John, uh, which that's not what it's called, but... um, they just pretty much like complain about inane bullshit and uh, and then make arbitrary rules and restrictions to uh, con- constrict fun and keep right. and keep bums from sleeping in parks and that kind of thing. Which to me doesn't seem like that <clears throat> ver- like such valuable work. Yeah, maybe they're up to more that I don't know about. I probably shouldn't trash them that hard. Well, in public anyway. I mean, but to your point, I think that. Broadmoor figured something out that I think is really vital, which is that our model is really based more on mutual aid and on solidarity as a neighborhood. So that our focus isn't, sure, like I, there are still going to be the folks who say, well, hey, this person is experiencing homelessness. I think they tried to steal that package off my porch. Like, I have to say that is still something that happens in Broadmoor, but we also in 2010 as a neighborhood made the choice to become an improvement district. So whereas some neighborhoods said, hey, we want to be a security district, play, pay for police to patrol the neighborhood to keep it safe. We actually decided that the best approach to public safety was to become an improvement district where neighborhoods pay an annual parcel fee as part of their property taxes that goes towards operating the BIA and all of the different wellness services that we offer. So people chose that. Yeah, I mean, not to, not to like flaunt my Black Beret too much, but duh, that's obviously the solution to problems like stealing packages off of porches is to make sure that people have what they need, right? Right. And that's why it's like, if you can make sure that the most vulnerable residents of Broadmoor have access to essential services, like, cool. That's better for everyone. Yeah. Well, great. How is it especially different now, I guess, that 
you're you've moved to you you've moved to a different set of programs or a different way of of administering yeah, programs. Yeah, for sure. So one thing that we have done is we have called over one thousand of our elderly residents in Broadmoor to basically figure out what do you need right now. Is it groceries? Is it um, is it just like a wellness check where we can call you and just see how you're doing? Do you need access to the food pantry? Do you need hot meals delivered? Do you need cleaning supplies? We've been calling up all of the elders in the neighborhood to make sure that we prioritize what they need first. And we've also been just mobilizing them to call their neighbors and tell them about what we're offering. And so really shifting to this remote model where we're doing a lot of outreach and a lot of calls to just stay connected as a neighborhood at the same time as we completely shifted the operations of our food pantry to be able to increase capacity and to be able to do that in a way that was safe for the neighborhood so that we've got, we've figured out somehow how to scale up deliveries so that we can deliver food to people so that we can minimize them coming to the food pantry, minimize contact We've been working with partnerships like Turo Synagogue uh, to get greens to the pantry. We have been working with our neighbors, El Pavo Real, when we get food delivered from Second Harvest that we can't totally use because it's uncooked tortilla chips. They have been cooking them up for us and then giving them back to us so that we can distribute them at our prepared meals. Nice. That's it's great. so cool. I yeah. Ca I called Chef at... Uh at uh el pavo real where i yes. used to, where i used to be a waiter and um i want i wanted to see if she would i wanted to see if she would be interested in um coming on and talking about s some of whatever she's doing for relief work i know i've seen like them posting on instagram and stuff like that it'd be fun to know but um and and it would make, probably make for good radio but um all right that's very cool you do uh do you also live in broadmoor i live in treme Okay. So I I commute my nine minutes to Broadmoor. Uh -huh. And, uh, <laughs> you know, what I will say is that I think that if there ever comes a time where I could purchase property, I think I would, you know, I, I would want it to be in Broadmoor. I think it's an amazing neighborhood to be a part of. Uh, just my housing situation has worked out to be that I'm a few minutes away. And, and I think it's okay. It gives me exposure to another neighborhood to understand how we're different and also because I can be involved in my neighborhood here in a way that is uncomplicated by a conflict of interest of being a staff member of the BIA. Uh, well, I, under I understand also that the Treme is a pretty highly functioning neighborhood and has like a lot of community driven and sort of like grassroots efforts to help um, mitigate living with water and things like that. For another project, we've been looking into that quite a bit um, to mitigate flooding and help Right. Facilitate living with water is what I meant to say. They're an amazing neighborhood organization. And as part of our relief efforts for COVID-19, the BIA, because, you know, as you said, Asher, like, wow, that's how we would like to think a neighborhood association is operating. We have always really tried to, as we have learned things that can be replicable and that are beneficial to share that with other people and to be thought leaders in that. And so we started this weekly 
telephone conference uh, since COVID-19, so maybe six weeks ago, where on a weekly basis, we're connecting with other groups doing neighborhood-based response work. So we're connecting with historic Treme, we're connecting with Mid-City, we're getting other groups on these calls who are organizing in similar ways and with similar mechanisms to make sure that we're sharing best practices. Uh, and I have to say, I've been so impressed with the work that the Treme neighborhood group has been doing. Can you describe any more of that in detail? Any of the Treme community work? Yes. Uh, so they have definitely kept the focus on getting food out to elderly residents, but they are also doing wellness phone calls. They have a beautiful script that they have been using to make sure that they really ask what people's needs are. And they're doing it in a way that's also trauma-informed, right? So saying, hey, is is it safe for you to talk right now? Are you able to speak privately, confidentially, openly right mm. now? And that's a really easy thing for someone to say no to. And then that's some information for someone to connect them with another resource, right? Yeah. So I think... It's not just the what, it's the how you do it. Are you doing it in a way that recognizes people's humanity and also need for connection right now? Because so many of our elders are homebound, are feeling isolated, are hit hardest by this. So these phone calls are a lifeline. It's not just, hey, do you need food delivered? But, oh, like, what are you watching? And, oh, isn't this funny, mm -hmm. this thing that this late night TV host is doing or... In my case today, I was signing somebody up for the food pantry who is also receiving hot meals from us. And we just got to talking and she is, this week, she celebrated her 66 year wedding anniversary. Wow. And uh, that's a good yeah, run. It's a good run. I was like, <laughs> you know, you've been married longer than most people have been alive. Uh, <laughs> and. And she was just so gratified to get to share that and to talk about what her neighbors have been up to. And, you know, her husband's 97, she's 91, and it's just about being connected. I think that all of this is actually creating opportunities in an unexpected way, albeit, uh, to feel more connected and to have more connective tissue with one another because we have to connect. We have to get creative about how to stay in contact Otherwise, we don't make it. Yeah, yeah. Just say hello in there, right? Like the John Prine song. Who's <laughs> yeah. A, who's oh, a great man. a great American musician that we lost to uh, I know. the COVID-19 virus not too long ago. Yeah, wow. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, that's, that's really beautiful, too. That's great. This thing is really multifaceted. There's a lot. There's a lot going on out there. That there's needs to a, be addressed. There's a lot. Yeah. Um, we all know that like old people that feel lonelier probably than anyone else. And now everybody seems to be suffering at least a little bit from that sort of thing. You know what I mean? Or yeah. per, at, at the very least, a little bit of cabin. Well, know? one thing it is, it's true. And I think like this is also an ep or a pandemic. This is a pandemic that affects people unevenly. And some people maybe living their best life. It is very true that there are some folks who I connect with who are like, I I built a garden in my backyard and I finally cleaned out this closet and I did this thing and that thing and I'm my most productive self in quarantine than I have ever been. Yeah. And I also talk to people um, through my counseling services. I talk to folks who say, I have never felt more paralyzed. I've never felt 
less motivated. I am depressed. I'm struggling. And so recognizing that people are experiencing this in very, very different ways and just creating space to hold whatever that is and say, listen, wherever you are, there's actually nothing wrong with how you're coping. However, you are surviving through this, recognizing that for some people, they may, they may have the privilege of feeling uh, that they are thriving in this, but that that's a privilege that for some folks who may have pre-existing mental health conditions, for some folks who may have other trauma, for some folks who may have other physical ailments or disabilities, all of this, right? All of these factors being important measures of health that they may not uh, be able to think past, how do I get through today? And just having compassion and empathy for that, I think right now is really important. Well, yeah, you helped me build a little bit more of that, actually, just during this conversation, because I had not honestly even thought about those people who were living with abusive, like relatives or spouses or whatever. And you kind of you kind of alluded to like people checking in to make sure that that kind of thing is being addressed with the Treme Neighborhood Association. Yeah, it's so important. And I I think the other thing that we're trying to do is we um, have been phone banking our elderly residents and now we're getting to the point where we've pretty much called all of them. So we're starting to phone bank other people in the neighborhood. But we're trying to prioritize neighbors calling neighbors and having them call one another because we are not, again, doing this from a perspective of charity or from the perspective of like, here we are as the Neighborhood Association. It is our duty I mean, of course, we feel a great Even sense though, of responsibility. Yeah, I guess it is, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It is our duty. It's our sense of responsibility. It's why we're here is to improve quality of life in the neighborhood. But also, part of what we're doing is trying to create cohesiveness in the neighborhood. And something we did in the fall of 2019 before COVID-19 was even a twinkle in anyone's eye was that we conducted a needs assessment to ask people more about what their priorities were in the neighborhood and what they felt like they needed from the neighborhood association. And one of the themes that we got over and over again was just the call for more connective tissue, the call for more opportunities to socialize with neighbors, uh, more time to have planned activities for fun with one another. And from that, I think... One of the things that we've been able to do well during this response has been to get neighbors in Broadmoor who have assets or resources to share and pair them with the needs of their neighbors so that it's not just me, Bethany, wellness director, reaching out about this thing that you said you needed, but actually your neighbor Dan, who has the ability to go and run this errand for you, and now you two are connected and can build a relationship with one another. Yeah, that's really good. This is uh, so uplifting. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I have to say, I, I feel very, um, I feel so grateful to feel the sense of purpose around the work that we're doing because unfortunately, I do think oftentimes it takes moments of crisis to bring people together, to rally people together. We tend, just from a psychological perspective as people, only to change when it is absolutely most necessary (laughs) and when it is forced. Yeah, but from the Stoics' point of view, I guess the obstacle is the way it's... uh... I I guess it's anything can be positive if we make it positive, right? (laughs) 
Hey, you know, that's what Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, would tell us. But yeah. that's a different that's a different podcast. But what I would say is that's a that's like a different interview it's entirely. Get, getting but, into the modern Stoics now, I guess. Right. Viktor Frankl's but, great though. He's uh he he's a, definitely a source of inspiration in this time. That's a great book. Yeah. <laughs> it is a great book, and I think it's I think it's particularly resonant in this moment where for so many people it's there is the sense that I don't have control over my life. I don't have control over how long we are doing social distancing. I don't have control over, you know, when I will be able to be out in public without a mask on. What I do have control over is the mental framing of that to myself. I can say that I feel trapped and isolated, or I can tell myself what I am doing right now is selfless. What I am doing right now is in service of my neighbors to stay home and to keep myself safe and to keep other people safe. This is the best way I can be in service of community. Yeah. I mean, having a sense of purpose like that is huge, no matter the situation you're in. You know what I mean? Feeling, feeling, yeah. fu- feeling, <laughs> feeling f- futile is one of the worst. Feeling like everything you do is futile is one of the worst feelings. And now we're getting back to the Stoics, aren't we? Uh, we, sure, we, sh- we sure are, and I'm not, I'm not mad at it. Asher, I can go toe-to-toe with you on that for as long as we need to. And no more futile a feeling is there than listening to yourself stumbling over phrases like that one for hours on end while you edit this show. If you had any idea how painful it was to listen to me, you would not be doing what you are doing right now. But we thank you. You're truly doing God's work. Hey, if you want to get in even better with the big guy upstairs, why don't you head on over to our Patreon page? Even as little as a dollar a month means the world to us. I mean, come on, there's probably one in your pocket right now that you don't even know you're missing. Check. Do it. Please, visit patreon.com slash cicada radio to become a patron. Please. We'll be back with more stuttering about stoicism and Mangigian on maggots after this. <laughs> Whoops. Guess we don't have a sponsor, but... If you wanted to fill this vast desert of content with the praises of you and your product or service being sung by me or someone else, just drop us a line at louder at cicadaradio.com. That's L-O-U-D-E-R at cicadaradio.com. The show goes on. All right, well, we met because I was a waiter at El Pavo Real mm-hmm. in the Broadmoor neighborhood, right on Broad Street there, which is a street that's been um, popping up with a lot of, like, interesting new things. There's a rum distillery now. There's a bakery. There's a coffee shop was in that little triangular-shaped building, I think. Mm-hmm. The last time I checked, I don't really know. And then, like, the the gym theater is, like, turned into a brewery. Looked like someone was maybe even starting to fool with that old bowling alley. Um, You were talking about how the neighborhood was coming up back early in the beginning of this um, interview. Was uh, Is that little strip having a renaissance, as it were, thanks to, thanks to your efforts or LaToya Cantrell's or... Or some combination of the two. I mean, I think, again, it goes back to the collective will. Broadmoorians really wanted to come back, and they really wanted there to be uh, a viable collection of businesses, and they wanted there to be commerce. And 
this is something that is still an area that I think Broadmoor can continue to develop. And uh, we are working with small businesses in the community to try to figure out how to support them better, but also how can we create more opportunities for that to arise? I think something that has been really exciting, um, and I know you and I both got to be in the same propeller incubator cohort, which is also another really cool overlap here, is that in the COVID-19 crisis, we have been able to leverage those relationships that we've built through partnership with Propeller and through also being connected to the businesses in the neighborhood to try to support vendors that are local. So quick example being that Sinedra Taylor, who is a Broadmoor resident and was also in our accelerator program, she operates Crazy Waffle Bar, we were able to get her uh, signed up as a vendor for our hot meal distribution. And she is providing now 80 meals a week for elderly Broadmoorians and homebound Broadmoorians. One of our other... (laughs) Lucky them, huh? (laughs) Yes, lucky them. They get crazy waffle bar. I mean, her food is amazing. And by the same token, we've been working with Lakeisha Reed at Buku Eats to provide hot meals as well on Thursdays. So those relationships, by being tuned into what's happening in the neighborhood, we were able to just immediately call upon people and say, listen, you're a Broadmoor or a Broadmoor adjacent business. We know you do really good work. We want to support you right now to make sure that uh, your businesses stay afloat during this time. Yeah. Well, great. I'm glad. Well, I hope that they can. It's pretty scary for the for the average service industry professional. I suspect, in particular, the New Orleanian service industry professional. It's all we got, and it don't look good, uh. does it? But you know, then again, we're finding a we're finding a lot of workarounds in all of this, and maybe good things do come of it in the end. I mean, I don't know. Like one thing I'll say to that is just that. I think there are so many amazing things about the skill set required to work service industry that can be channeled into other types of work too. So that it's very possible that we're still going to have this slowdown and that restaurants are not going to come back online in exactly the same way. But I have to say, like, I've had some volunteers at the food pantry who have been service industry professionals who get it. They get the work because they understand the pace, the urgency, the ability to multitask, to pivot, like that the transferability of the skill set in service industry is going to be something that I think could really be redirected in a powerful way uh, in the aftermath of COVID-19, whether it's in getting those folks to become community garden managers and manage the labor and the, and the output of that type of work, or whether it's supporting pantry operations, or in the event of one of our recent partners, the GNO Caring Collective, service industry professionals now mobilized around delivering food and running errands for 
neighbors. That was such a brilliant tie-in. Thank you so much for making me appear to be a great interviewer. You got it, Asher. <laughs> and let me say, we'll find a job for you. Like, I'm not worried. Like, there will be a job for you. <laughs> we'll see. I guess I could work for a radio station if there's any radio station who actually hires for money. Fair, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I know. I know. <laughs> but your radio voice is great. It's great. Hey, welcome to How Do You Like Your Eggs, the show for people who live to eat by people who live to cook, who love to eat by people who live to cook. I think that counts everybody. Yeah, that's everyone. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, okay, cool. Well, we usually finish this, we usually wrap up with a few little questions. So in um, in pursuit of maintaining the brand, I'd like to ask those questions or at least modified versions of them. So they are three. And the first is usually where do you uh where would you where do you like to eat right now in new orleans what's your favorite little spot but since you don't have a restaurant to go to i guess maybe who's got the best little who's got who's got the best little hot meals in styrofoam boxes in out the back of a van good grief i hear you yeah (laughs) so I will say I was excited over the weekend. I I did get takeout from Blue Giant mm. uh, Chinese food. It's so good. Yeah, they were They're, getting hot, I remember, right before. Yeah, and now with COVID-19, I guess the positive is that you can actually get food without an insane line. <laughs> like, you can still experience it. Just a little bit later and on your couch, which is... In my opinion, never as much fun. It it isn't, and um, you know, for me, so much of like eating in a restaurant and having that, it's such an experience, and it really does feel like just irreplaceable. Mm. So I do, I do really miss that. I am a foodie at heart. Uh, so uh, we all, I've, well, I've we been, all love. I've to been eat, missing right? that. <laughs> what? Uh, so nobody's. Nobody's really wowing you with the with the with the food lines, the soup kitchens. Ooh, the... Let me think. I mean, well, listen, that's a totally different question. I sure. mean, I suppose so. Like is. I said, so you said you said where do you want to eat right now? Where have you been eating? And Blue Giant was the most recent thing I've tried. But what I will say is, I've been very excited because one of the other vendors who we have been able to support with the hot meal distribution is Barrow's Catfish. Ah. And if you've never had the pleasure, it truly is some of the most delicious food you'll ever no, eat. No, I haven't, but I and love catfish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then cool. it is not to be missed. It is not I'll, to be uh, missed. I'll keep, I'll keep that, that one in mind then when I get back to the neighborhood. Okay, so question two yeah. of the three um, is if you were able to give advice to a younger self, Hmm. what do you think that would be? That's a great question. Yeah. You know, it's going to potentially sound really simple, but trust yourself. Trust, Trust your gut and trust your intuition. I think we're trained not to trust our intuition. Uh, from a very young age, mm. we're taught to listen to the logic and the reason, and it's really important that you weigh the pros and cons, which is true. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think learning to listen to that small voice inside of you and to trust your intuition and to actually create space to have more curiosity about that 
is really important and and trusting that you already have within you the information and the knowledge you're going to need to make good choices. I think that's really important. And I wish I had learned that a little earlier with myself. I also wish I had been more willing to trust myself. There was a, a lot of me that chose to follow my academic career mm. as a musician because I because I thought that like, you know, guitar players got more pussy than um, poets or people who made cartoons. But what I really wanted to do was like make cartoons, you know, and um, wound up with a music degree all the same. I There's a third question, as I said, and I'm trying to get Anna maybe to give it to me real quick because right now I'm drawing a blank. No worries. But as, as you wait yeah. and we have time, I will say... Asher, that's the answer to your question. You become, you know, an animator or a cartoonist after this, and voila, that's it. That's what you're going to do. Uh, what inspired me to start going into, like, radio and audio storytelling is just that I was I was studying music composition, and I was, like, leaning really hard into, like, the academic side of it because I just assumed that my study would eventually lead me into academia, academia as a career. But what I wound up doing is being far more focused on the idea of storytelling through sound, which was the thing I was mostly fascinated by as a teenager. Because, like, and I've, I've told this this story to so many people, but I saw this special for um, How the Grinch Stole Christmas one mm. year. And afterward, they had a making of. And I was, like, saw them, like, they showed, like, the images of the dog, the little dog pushing the... Um, Christmas bags up the chimney and then popping out of the top of the chimney and then falling onto the sled and they sh play these three sounds this like shloop 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 and then this clop 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 and then this plop 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 mm -hmm. and then they showed this guy in front of a microphone just like this with an apple in his hand and he goes like shlomp 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 and he spits them onto a plate plop 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 and they go clop 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 into the plate and I was just like oh my god that's the most um, that's somebody's job that's the most amazing thing I've yeah. ever seen in my life that's what I want to do when I grow up and uh and I guess I just sort of I don't know, somewhere down the line, I just, like, got kind of talked out of it by, like, people who wanted to, like, help me shape my career, friends who said that, like, that idea was stupid, and, like, relatives who were like, you need to think about being able to make money oi, to support oi. your family or whatever. Well, listen. So, I don't know. I relate to that. Uh -huh. I relate to that because yeah. I, I was a theater major in my undergrad, and... Yeah. Uh... I work in live theater a lot. I love I love working in it's theater. It's so great. And there's nothing to me like stage theater. But to your point, I took a sound design class when I was in, in undergrad. And remember, uh, that was some of the most fun I've ever had was just like, how do you take random instruments and create sounds you never thought would be coming from an instrument as sound mm -hmm. effects? I mean... That so I that kind of creative exploration is the most fun and I maybe maybe Asher maybe someday we will collaborate on just a sound design project that would be fun <laughs> as hell I'd love to and um uh, frankly though I I recently I learned that Jad Abunrod studied music composition and he's like he's like the dude in like radio radio right yeah. now right and sound design in particular and it's just like he's you know we have the same background it turns out and so 
But as soon as I learned that little factoid about him, I suddenly felt completely validated in my course of in my course of study and no longer started thinking, well, I just wish I'd been a little more focused. You know what I mean? Like maybe I got all the tools I needed from, you know what I mean? Anyway, yeah, you're never going to be the person that you are without living the life that you lived already. And it's pointless to say, I wish I would have done anything at all. It may be point pointless from like a logistical standpoint, but it's also okay to let yourself feel what you need to feel. Uh, and that again is the therapist in me normalizing that loss and grief are very natural parts of the human experience. So if you were to feel those things, it would also be totally okay. And then you just live with that. The obstacle is the way. Yeah. Cherish cherish what you can. There's one life as far as we know anyway or whatever. We're getting stoic Here we again. Go. I mean, it, it all cycles back to the stoics. Right? <laughs> well, anyway, maybe the questions were only two anyway now that I'm thinking about it a little bit harder. I probably should have prepared this portion of the show a little bit more f- uh, beforehand. But what we finally do in the end is offer you a shot of whiskey, which I can't do because I neither have whiskey nor a way to this offer is it to you. It's extremely disappointing. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> because, uh, and the reason for that is because it's how uh, we like to end shifts in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, you've been great, and this has been so much fun. Thank you so much. My gosh, thank you, Azure. Thanks for taking time to talk with me about sound design and COVID-19 and the Stoics. And also, if we just wanted to, like, make up whatever that third question was, like, I'm down. I'm ready for it. <laughs> All right. Do you want to ask me Yeah, I do. I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. And uh, this is – this question is – an obscure one, but do you have a favorite story in your own lived experience that involves maggots? Oh, my God. Um, yes. When I was uh, working for the Green Project just shortly after Hurricane Katrina, I remember this one day. We went to this house that was, I believe it was in Lakeview, and it was like a little, sort of like a <laughs> 70s track home. You know what I mean? So, okay, I should back up just a little bit and say that what we were doing, we were working as a deconstruction crew. So we would get sort of hired through grants and things like that to sort of cheaply for the owner of the house, take it apart. And the reason that it was cheap for them is because we would take all of the pieces that were still usable of this house, bring it back to the Green Project, and then sell them at a discounted rate to people who wanted to repair or improve their homes um, back in the, like, in the, like, Bywater neighborhood. Gotcha. So, um... So we go to this site and we're going to take this house apart. Or I think this particular site, we were just supposed to sort of go in there and see if there was anything worth stripping. But it was still like really wet and really nasty inside. And um, there was a lot of the people's personal effects still there. Mm -hmm. You know, like the closet had clothes in it. The mattress was soaked and had like the bedding still on there right. and everything it smelled horrible there were obviously like animals living in there and stuff like that even though i don't even know how they possibly could but at one point or other um we decided to open up the fridge um because often in that job we went um scavenging for liquor so we opened the fridge and there was if i remember correctly not much of note in there some spoiled food of course but then i opened the freezer and when i did <sighs> I saw these mountains of 
a, a small mountain uh probably you know three to five inches deep i'd say at its you know at its peak of maggots yep just writhing all over each other and on top of living on this mount this living mountain of maggots were much bigger fatter gnarlier maggots eating (laughs) the mountain of maggots and i was just like oh my god and i like slammed the freezer door and i was like guys we can get out of here now i think we've done our duty and you know i had a friend who was just like no i really think we should get all these doorknobs and i was just like yeah but get your doorknobs then i'm gonna i'm gonna go smoke a cigarette you know what i mean and uh i i was i was scarred by that um yeah that was the most maggoty thing i've ever seen in my entire life probably ever will yeah i hope so for your sake too because you said it was scarring for you and uh <laughs> and what i will also say is that i ask that question because i have never asked anyone that question who didn't have an answer like everybody has a really? maggot story who knew that this was the most universal thing in life is that there's some everyone's got one how did you discover that oh wow so i was at a high school reunion event like it was like an alumni high school are you still recording i am should i not be no you definitely should be oh oh god okay great um well (laughs) what i was gonna say is that i'm at this high school uh event and it was it was very boring and uh i remember i was talking to the head of school at the time and I think he was also like here I am on the circuit of these types of events again this is just the worst and I just said so like what's your maggot story and he had an answer and then it just became this thing that I started asking people now and again when I was just absolutely dry for conversation wow What's your maggot story? Oh, it, it my maggot story involves making this really beautiful lentil soup and getting really really excited about it, like spending, a, you know, time like cutting all the vegetables, prepping everything for this delectable soup, getting the broth totally ready and then pouring the lentils in and realizing that there were maggots in <sighs> the lentils and that all of the soup had to be thrown out. Oh my. It was really sad. Yeah. Well, that is disgusting. <laughs> I know. Um, okay. I mean like or extra protein? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you could have cooked them and eaten them, I guess, if you wanted to. It's really just like at that point it's just a psychological thing. They're not they're probably not no, they're disgusting. I'm not even gonna try to justify that. Um okay. Well, let's go ahead and cut her off here. Uh, thank you again so much. <laughs> we'll see you. We'll see you next time, I guess. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, see you around the neighborhood. Uh, sorry, I didn't have any eggs for you either. That's usually something we do. Now that's how I like my eggs. My name is Asher Griffith, and this production is brought to you by no one other than me. If you'd like to be a sponsor, please drop me an email at louder at cicadaradio.com. And if you want to be sainted, go to patreon.com slash cicadaradio and become a patron. On behalf of Anna and Jake, thank you so much for listening. God willing, we'll see you next week on How Do You Like Your Eggs? Just glad to see blue morning and yellow egg at the break of rain. Say. 
This is Cicada Radio. Sing, love, die. Oh no. Uh oh.